The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Every nation and culture uh, has a set of standards and morals Some of these standards are universal, while others of them are just uh, in a particular place and for a particular time. Like one of the universal standards is you shouldn't murder, right? Like I don't know anyone who doesn't think that to be true through all the nations and all the places in the earth. Um, But what to do after church is very, can vary from place to place. Like it's pretty acceptable and actually a cultural norm for in Germany to go to a pub after church with your friends. But if you did that in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I used to do ministry, um, you probably wouldn't be invited or allowed back in the church the next week, right? That culture and our culture is different. And one of the things that we have in our culture as uh, the United States is we have um, a definition of words we can and cannot say, right? We have a standard around words. And there are certain things that if I was to say on this stage, I would be asked to not talk for a while, right? Um, these are called the bad words. And depending on your upbringing and depending on um, your household would determine how you can use these words or the punishment that would cause from it. But nevertheless, as a United States, we have to tell people if there are language in the TV shows, in the things that we listen to on the radio, or even in our movies. But as I've gotten older, I've realized there are other words that I can say on a stage And I'm not going to be asked to not speak again for a while. And and people aren't going to say, oh, how dare you? But they kind of are going to say that. Um, These were, I would call the non-bad, bad words. Um, These are the words that make us uncomfortable when we hear them. Like the word sex. In in our culture, um, as the United States, that's a big pursuit in our world. And yet when someone talks about it, we instantly get a little uncomfortable. Another one of those words um, that we see that is a non-bad, bad word is the word of politics, right? Over the last two years, even along the last two weeks, we've seen how polarizing this word has become and it oftentimes brings tension in our world. We also have words like money. We all pursue it. No one wants to talk about how much we make of it or what we do with it, right? And I can go on and on with like eating habits and and, and other types of things, but nevertheless, there are words that we can say, but they still make us uncomfortable a little bit. And we're gonna talk about one of those words today, so lucky you. But my guess is when I tell you the word we're gonna be talking about, you're gonna go, oh, that's not a bad word. Like, I I don't mind talking about it, and I actually prefer people talking about it, but I would say that's not always true because your language or your body or your expression, rather, of it would say something else. Today, we're gonna be talking about this word called rest. Now, for most of you, you're like, yeah, I would like some of that. Um, But the truth is, this is a pretty uncomfortable topic for us. Because let's just think about it. Today on the courtyard or when you're in the grocery store and you run into someone, what's your normal response when they say, hey, how are you? Tired, right? I got that one. Or I'm busy. Or we, we have this idea that rest 
is not a part of our culture. Like we need to be pursuing, we need to be working, we need to be constantly going. And we're seeing the side effects of that today. Because so many people are overwhelmed and exhausted because they're not resting. And yet rest is one of the major themes that we see in scripture. And so we're gonna be looking at that today as we continue in this series entitled The Rhythms of Life. And so if you have your Bible, you can open them to Mark chapter two. And uh, if you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me. But as you're getting there, I want to just kind of share a little bit about this, this series and where we've been. Over the last four weeks, we've been diving into this, this series about habits that we need to have in our lives. And not that these habits gain us merit with God or his favor, but simply habits that ultimately allow us to experience the promise that Jesus told us in John 10, 10. In that verse, it says, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, this is Jesus talking, have come to give you life and life to the fullest or life to the abundance, depending on your translation. Now, for many of us, when we think about that word, we look at that word through the lens of our American culture, which means comfort, financial gain, you name it, but that's not what Jesus meant by that. You see, the abundant life was a life that soul was completely satisfied. And that isn't found in those other things. He said, the life, uh, abundant life is those who know my voice and follow my leading. It's in those that I become satisfied. And when my, when my soul is no longer thirsty. And so the first week we talked about the need of having a Christian community, not to, to hide ourselves away from culture, but to ultimately have an inner circle that when times are hard or even when times are good, that they're constantly pointing us back to the one who created us. That they're the ones that we can lean into because they are actually supporting us and directing us towards the ways of, of God and his truth, not to the ways of this world and their truths. Then we looked into the importance of intentional prayer because more often than not, we see in our culture that everyone prays, but it's about their situation that comes up. Where, where scripture, there was this idea that we need to be more intentional with our time in prayer with, with Jesus because it's in that that we get to experience him because of his death and resurrection, we have entrance into his presence. And so we can pray intentionally and then last week, Pastor Michael looked at this word about the intentional need of scripture in our lives over the other voices, because it's when the scripture is wrapping around our minds and our hearts, we are unable to hear him despite all the other things that are being thrown against us. And so today we're gonna continue in this theme by looking at this word rest. And so let's just kind of dive in. It says this in Mark chapter two. It says, one Sabbath, he, this was Jesus, was going through a grain field as they made their way. His disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry and he and those who were with him and how he entered the house of God in the time of Eberathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for anyone, but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said the, to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. 
So I don't know about you, but everyone, when it comes to scripture, has some sort of maybe visual or understanding around those words. Some of you have a really cool, good, like eye to see pictures. I do not. But nevertheless, when it comes to the things that we read, we ultimately start to place our own thoughts around what's taking place. And I think for many of us, we have a very warped view of who the Pharisees are. For me, at least growing up, I thought that these Pharisees were kind of like these like secret police. And that would make sense because most of human culture has had a secret um, units that help govern their people. Like we see it in like modern day, like KJB um, or in the Nazi SS. Like these are people that were going to inflict the, the rule and make sure that the rules are in place and ultimately inflict punishment when they are not. And I think for many of us, we think that of the Pharisees, but that's not who they are. Um, the Pharisees were a religious and political group. And I wish there was something in our world that would help us understand what that looks like, but there isn't. Like, I can't even think of anything that would be matching who they simply were, but they have been in place for about 200 years at this point. And when they originally were founded, their desire was to ultimately know the truths of Yahweh super, super well. But over time, that started to morph to becoming some sort of, of, of kind of like this moral police. Um, and they could not inflict punishment for the laws, as we can see later on in scripture, when they went to punish Jesus, they themselves couldn't do it. They had to go to someone, but they also couldn't make it either. They just ultimately had influence on the world and the world that's taking place. And they understood that once again, to become a Pharisee rather, they had to know the books of the Bible, of the Hebrew Bible well which I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever like cracked open your Bible and looked at the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew Bible, it's pretty big, right? Anyone, anyone think that's pretty big? Um, they had to know it all. Like they could have someone come up to them and say, hey, what's it say in Esther? Scroll one, right? Because they didn't have chapters and verses like us. They just had scrolls. And they would have to recite it. Does anyone have a hard time just remembering one line of scripture? <laughs> okay, maybe just me. Um, <laughs> Uh, right? Like they had to recite it. So they knew these things really, really well. And so we get to this story and it's still early on in, in Jesus's ministry. So we don't really know the, like their reasons for approaching Jesus with what they said. It could have been because they were like, maybe this guy is with us and he didn't notice what just took place and he needs to correct them because he's a teacher and he knows the law. Or it could be because they wanted to punish him. Nevertheless, they present Jesus with this thing. Did you not see that your disciples were gathered, were walking through a grain field and picked a piece of grain? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think any of us would say that was defined as work, right? Like my daughter probably would do that as we, if we went on a walk today. We'd be like walking around, oh, there's something to pick, right? Woohoo! And yet this was kind of where it's at. Now, one of the things that we can start to see about who the Pharisees were is that they had this kind of merit-based belief, meaning that they thought that if their actions were to fully align with God's text, that God would give them favor. And so it would make sense to see them call something out like this because as we'll read in a little bit, the Sabbath was a thing that God presented to his people and said, you couldn't do things on. And so Jesus then ultimately reveals some new truths because oftentimes what we see about the Pharisees is oftentimes true in our own lives, that we understand the rules, but not the heart behind them. 
And so we get this text and this story, and it's so interesting that Jesus um, goes to this text. Now, for those of you that didn't think that Jesus had a little bit of sass, um, you need to read this story again. <laughs> because he says, have you not remembered about David? Um, yeah, they did. They had, to be, they had to know it by word. Of course they knew who he was. He was kind of like making a little jab at them because they missed a big part of the story. Because they would have known that this, this passage of scripture that he's talking about is in the, in the first book of Samuel. And, and in that, there's a story about a guy named David. And for those of you who don't know who David is, David was one of Israel's kings. Um, and he's also known a man after God's own heart. But in this part of the story, David has been anointed king, but he's not the ruling king. Meaning he's gonna be the king to be soon, but Saul is still on the throne. And to say that Saul and David had a... Um, a tense relationship would be an understatement, right? Like Saul was extremely jealous of who David was. And so often he would pursue David, but yet oftentimes he would allow David to fight with him. Very unique. But in this particular story, at this particular time, David is a decorated war hero. Literally, there's a story where it says that the Israelites are, are singing a song about him. Saul has killed his hundreds, but David has killed his thousands. Like everyone knew who David was. So David and his mighty men are kind of off um, traveling and gets word that Saul is trying to come kill him. He's trying to come kill him. And so he can't go back home to get supplies to go on a voyage because he happens to be married to Saul's daughter, which means that his home is near the palace. It's probably not a strategically good place to be when you know that the king is trying to kill you. So he has to flee. And it's in that we start to see, I think, where Jesus is ultimately trying to shape our understanding of the purpose of rest. David, a a decorated war hero, could have gone to any civilian's house and knocked on the door and said, hi, my name's David. Um, I just got word that there's a bunch of bandits on their way to come invade your territory. I don't have time to go get supplies. Can you give me any food and any type of weapon you have? And what are people gonna say? There's only, what are they gonna do? There's only one thing they're gonna do, but the reasons might be different is here's the stuff. Because first they'd be like, wow, I'm so thankful for who you are, David. You've saved us for many and you're gonna save us again. So here's some food and here's a kitchen knife. Hopefully it helps. But he doesn't. Instead, he goes to the temple. Instead, he turns into his time of stress to God. And it's in that we start to see the purpose of rest is the purpose of rest is where we find restoration and preparation for what we are facing. It's where we find restoration and preparation. David could have easily gone to anything in his world and they would have given to him what, they need, what he needed just like we would, right? I mean, like if SEAL Team 6 knocked on your door and said, someone's invading our, your home, our, our town, I don't have time, what do you got? We would go, here you go, right? Or the other one's like, well, you're gonna take it from me anyways because I don't wanna die, so here you go, right? Like that's the only options. But he doesn't. Instead, he turns to Yahweh. And in that, God meets him 
and provides him food and ultimately the sword of Goliath. And in that, God restores him, right? He gives him the strength and the nourishment for the task at hand and also prepares him for what's out there that he wasn't aware of. But for many of us, when it comes to our stresses in life, the things that we turn to are of this world instead of, of Christ. And it doesn't mean that we can't have awesome times playing video games or doing all this stuff, and we're gonna talk about it. But if your notion after a long, stressful, hard day or when seasons of life are overwhelming, you're going towards something the culture has instead of something God can provide, we're starting to see an idol. And here's the truth. Rest will always feel like sinning when your idols are greater than God. If your children are where you find your hope, so just an idol is where you find your hope, your trust, your value, your significance, your self-worth in something that's outside of who God is. Only God can provide you those things. So if you're looking towards something on this earth to give it, that's an idol. And so if our kids are an idol in our world, then we will be more about making sure their lives are perfect, meaning I'm gonna go and do all these extracurriculars and do all this stuff than saying no to some of them because you need rest. If work is an idol, then you will not turn off your phone when you get home after already putting in 12 hours of the day because it's there you find your value, your worth and your significance. If your politics are your idol, then you're constantly be scrolling through the latest information about what's taking place. If comfort or your 401k are the things that you're looking towards for your safety, your, your value, you will have a hard time pausing. And so the Pharisees are coming to them with this, you've got to earn it. And he goes, hold on a second. Let's first understand what it was for. The whole purpose of rest wasn't for you to get favor with me is actually the place where I actually get to pour into you to restore your broken soul and to prepare you for something next. So the story continues and Jesus ultimately then says to them, these words that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is even Lord over the Sabbath. My guess is you're probably like me that you see rest as something to earn, right? Like Sabbath is something I earned, something like, I, like I've got to work really, 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 really hard so that ultimately I can get rest. And this broken definition, it actually caused one of the greatest fights in my marriage um, because I came home one day and I had a really, really long day, super stressful. And I see a bunch of dishes in our sink and my wife was sitting on the couch and I lost it. And I was totally in the wrong for this because my wife has a greater definition of rest than I did. I was like, well, you have to earn it. Like there's still a mess. Like this is your thing, go do it. Instead of saying like, hey, what's going on? Like what happened in your world today? Like what's, what's taking place? Like I didn't realize the kids were really bad that day and, and or it was just one at the time, it was just Charlie and like life was overwhelming and she just needed a time to be able to breathe so that she can be able to do the work ahead of her. Because that's what rest is. It's, it's, a day, it's a way to be restored and prepared 
where I've always thought it was something that I had to earn. And that's where we start to lean into where Jesus is starting to get the definition of rest. And, and I wish, I, I'm 90% sure I read this, but I have looked and I cannot. So if I did steal this from someone, I'm sorry, but this is the definition of rest. I think God says it West here is that rest is a period of time that is free from anxiety, from worry, from should haves and could haves that point us back to our creator that points you back to your creator. I'll say that again. Rest is a period of time that is free from anxieties, worries, should-haves, and could-haves that point us back to our creator. Now, for all of you, it's like, that sounds awesome. Where can I buy it? <laughs> or that sounds stressful. I can't do that. Well, it's because you're not willing to give up something for it. I don't know if you've heard the statement, uh, practice makes perfect, but my guess is you have. That statement is a lie. Um, the statement is practice makes permanent. What you participate in, what you continually do over and over and over again makes a permanent in our life. And so if we continuously turn to things other than God for rest, then we are going to see rest as something I'm gonna be worried in. I'm gonna be overwhelmed and anxious. I'm gonna be constantly thinking about what's ahead or what didn't get accomplished, right? Like it's in those times that I'm being revealed my practice is off. See, the point of rest is ultimately getting to lean in this and, and participate in this. But it's as I practice it that it actually becomes a thing. I can't get this overnight. None of us are gonna go to home today after church, which probably some of you are sitting here, I've got this to do and that to do and that to do. See, you're already starting to get stressed out about rest. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and and go, oh, well, then I'm just gonna take these, like, you know, I'm gonna do what we talked about and I'm gonna get rest. And then you're gonna be anxious and worried because you're not getting rest. <laughs> um, it takes time to quiet your mind. It takes time to participate in this. It takes time to lean into this. And it also has to take time to understand how you're created. Uh, this is a pretty important thing to realize, but we all are different. Might be a shocker to some of you, <laughs> um, but we're not robotic, which is a blessing. But that also simply means that rest is gonna look different from each person. Like in my house, my wife is a like more by herself type of person of rest. Like her version of rest is like sitting quietly, which that sounds like my little version of hell. Sorry, I'm kidding. Um, right, but like that's not my natural go-to. Like I'm not like, I'm gonna go sit and just be still, which I know the Bible tells me I should. And so I have to practice it more. Um, but that's something that she does well. And that's because that's, that's how she finds rest. Where me, rest is being around a bunch of people, playing games or eating food, um, even when I lose, all right? And even when it doesn't go the way I want, it's just the round of being around people that actually bring rest to me. And, and you know, I was joking, I was talking to people about this on staff this week and like I had multiple people laughing, like that sounds like work, right? That just proves the reality that rest is different for all of us. And so in this story, Jesus starts to define rest, right? It's, and he also shows the purpose of rest. And so now we need to look at the types of rest though, because there are various types of rest scattered throughout scripture. Some of them you probably have come to an understanding of, others of them you probably have never heard of, but nevertheless, they're there. 
And so the first type of rest that we see in scripture is a daily rest. Um, And so we see this in the first book of the Bible. Um, and before I read it, I just want to kind of highlight something. If, if the Bible repeats itself, it's because it's trying to put an exclamation point, meaning pay attention, this is important. And so we read this six times in scripture in the very first page of the Bible. In Genesis 5, 8, 13, 19, 23, and 31, it says this, and there was evening and there was morning. And there was evening and there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. Think about this for a moment. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who lives outside of time, still chose to daily start and stop. He didn't have to. Right, like we, we, we think about it. he created everything that we get to experience in this world and yet he still demonstrated the need of starting and stopping. And yet most of us, when it comes to our life, how do we start and how do we finish the day? It starts with our laundry list of things that have to be accomplished. I've got to do this. I've got this meeting. I got to get the kids here. I've got to make this. I got to make this. I got to do that. Like we wake up in the morning working even if it's in the subconsciousness of our mind, we wake up working. And how do we end the night? Once again, worrying about the things that we didn't accomplish that day and start to figure out what we gotta do tomorrow. Right? We're not resting. We're not actually taking moments to pause before the creator and just simply say, I need you to be over me, to cover me, to lead me, to guide me. When we try to play God, that's when anxiety starts to reign, when worry starts to take havoc, when stress overwhelms us, because we are asking ourselves to do something only God can do. And so he says to us, will you be still before me in the ways that make sense to you? but it's the purpose behind it. Are you looking to God for your restoration or for your hope and for your preparation for tomorrow? Now, some of us might be good at this, at one of them. Some of us might be good at both of them. Most of us are terrible at all of it, right? But nevertheless, it's something that we need to participate in. For me, I'll be honest, the, the, the ending my day is hard. I, I'm super grateful for teachers in college that really try to enforce these, like starting the day off with the Lord. Um, it didn't come to practice almost to two years into my ministry because I didn't grasp it. But if I didn't have that, I can't imagine what it'd been like to give through the last three years because it was already stressful enough and I was already worried about enough. But even just taking simply, as my, Pastor Michael said, five minutes to start my day with the Lord is gonna radically shift the way I look at the day, ultimately how I experience the day. And if we were to take five minutes at the beginning of the morning and then just simply five minutes at the end of the night, it's only 10 minutes in your day. You got 24 hours. It's not really a big ask, but it ultimately is starting to reveal where your trust is at. Are you trusting more your idols or the things of this world or yourself other than God. And so we simply see that there's this daily type of rest. 
The second type of rest that we see is a, a weekly type of rest. It's the text that we're reading about. This is where this whole frustration and, and conversation is happening is because of this word of Sabbath. And Sabbath is a 24-hour period where they were supposed to not work. And, and before I read the text, I need to kind of ultimately paint this picture of, of, of it. Because Jesus or God is giving to this to his people after they've been enslaved for 400 years meaning that for 400 years, they have worked seven days a week. Now, our understanding of slavery and their understanding of slavery is very different. But we can get a picture that in their slavery, some of them prospered because of the way that they complained um, during their desert time. For those who don't know the story, it says that God does all these crazy, cool, like God showing things called the 10 plagues to the Egypt. And ultimately, he takes those people and they start to travel. Now, during their travel, they start to complain because God isn't providing them the extras. He's given them food to eat and water to drink, but they want the fish that they used to eat too. And the, 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 the things that they had beforehand, which means that in their work, in their slavery, they became prosperous, meaning they actually had comfortable lives, even though they had to do evil things, they had to do hard work, they still were gaining things from it. And so many of us, does that sound familiar? Maybe I'll go in there, maybe not. Uh, but nevertheless, and so God comes to them and says, okay, I need to start rewiring your thinking. Because for 400 years, you've been wired to trust yourself and to work seven days a week and to look like the rest of the culture around you. But I want you to learn to trust me. And that's where we get this text. It says, Executives 20 verses eight through 11 says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. And on it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in it and rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Right, and so we get this picture of why they would be so like, hey, what are they doing? They're working, right? In the text that we read in Mark. Because it's this idea like, well, God's clear words were, you can't do that. But this is ultimately not so much about the work as about where you're gonna trust. Are you going to trust that I can do more in your six days than you can do in your seven? Are you going to trust that I will going to lead you and guide you and take care of you? Or are you going to trust yourself? Yes, there are rules there that were in place, but ultimately it was about trying to reveal your heart. The laws were a way to look at your heart, not to follow. I mean, yes, like it's kind of like, of course I love my wife and tell her those things, but as I spend more time with her, I love her more. And so like, I don't want to do the things that I might've done before, right? It's the purpose behind why you do what you do, not what you're doing. And so we see that now there is this weekly type of rest. And in this, we see that it's about ultimately being restored towards your family, uh, restored back towards your savior. And for those of you who are single, guess what? You get the blessing of resting the way you were designed alone. And you don't realize how much of a blessing that is. (laughs) 
everyone who's laughing is because they are married or ultimately have more than one person in their house because whether they're married or not, if you have multiple people in your space, you have to now learn to Sabbath together. And that's one of the things that's so important is that we have to learn to start to Sabbath together. So in my house, that means some weekends, we're sitting at home doing what my wife wants to do, which is to be quiet, which is very stressful for me and oftentimes feels like work. But there are other times where we rest the way I wanna rest with people and, and hanging out and doing activities. But it's learning to rest with one another because ultimately we've become one. And so I have to lean into that, which also means that as those of you who are not single have to as well, or like you're gonna have to learn to lean in to those around you and ultimately take time to rest the way you need to rest, but ultimately help those in your house rest. But nevertheless, the point is to take a day, a 24 hour period, where you are being pointed back towards your saviors. So that could be playing video games. That could be hanging around eating food with people. That could be simply being still or reading a good book, going on a hike, like you name it. But remember the purpose. If I'm running to it first, if I'm not taking time to pray, to spend time with my creator, to, to look towards him to restoration, like then it's not gonna be restful, right? God wants us to, to live in the way he's created us. But it's ultimately making sure that it's pointing us back towards him. And then we get to this last type of rest. This is the rest that most people don't really know about. And that is a bi-monthly rest. There is this book in the, New, in the Old Testament called Leviticus. Most people have never heard of it because it's, or don't wanna read it because it's got a bunch of rules and all these weird stuff in it. So it's one of those, let's say flyover books, kind of like flyover states. Um, we just kind of like, mm. but in this uh, Leviticus tw- chapter 23, we see seven Jewish feasts. Uh, I'm not gonna read all the whole passages because it's a lot of verses, but I'll just simply kind of break it down to you. In verses four and five, read about the Passover. In verses six and eight, we read the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Nine through 14, the Feast of Fruits. Uh, 15 through 22, the Feast of Weeks. 23 through 25, the Feast of Trumpets. 26 through 32, the Day of Atonement. 33 through 44, the Feast of Booths. Now, these are spread throughout the Jewish calendar, and it roughly comes out to every 60 days, the Jewish people were called to go out of their world to take time to remember, to reflect, to praise, to gather, to rest outside of their norms, which was the daily and the, week, and the weekly. Now, some of these were a couple days. Other of these were a week long. But nevertheless, every 60 days, they were called to rest. So for us, that could be where we put our family vacation. But for many of us, that's something we do once a year and that's super stressful. Like I've got to save all this money and do all these things to do this and I've got to earn it. That wasn't what it was about. So every 60 days, roughly, we're supposed to rest. And so the way I would say it to you is every 60 days, you got to get out of your zip code. Now in California, we are extremely blessed because we don't have to go very far to go to some of the most beautiful places that are sought after the world. But ultimately every 60 days for a length of period of time, whether that's one day or a week or longer, we are supposed to get out of our rhythms to be restored and prepared. 
Remember, the purpose of rest. Like, and too often we make this way too big of a deal. I've got to pack all this stuff and do all these things. Guys, you just need some bread, some peanut butter and jelly and a car. And you can pretty much do whatever you want, right? Oh, we need some water, right? Like it, it, you can go to Yosemite in a, in, in a day and don't even have to spend the whole day there. And if that doesn't seem like rest to you, you can bring a book, right? <laughs> like you, whatever that thing is, it's, it's the point for us of getting out of the norms to ultimately to be reminded of who God is, to praise him for what he's done, to ask him to prepare you for the things that you haven't done and ultimately to look towards him for the things ahead. See, for us, we need to lean in towards rest. But so many of us are so consumed with the busyness of life that we don't. Throughout God's word, we see so many variations of rest and the purpose of rest and the need to have rest in our lives. And so what do you turn to as we close? In your daily, weekly, and bi-monthly habits, where are you looking for preparation and restoration? And are they providing you, um, or are they rather giving you um, anxiety-free life, a stress-free life, um, or not? See, um, our, our bodies will help us know if we're feeling rested or not by the way that it responds to how we are, where we're turning. So where are you gonna turn today? For those of you that are worried about the laundry list of things to do today, will you take even just five minutes to rest? For those of you that are already looking at the weeks and months to come, will you learn to rest? Now, as a quick aside, I'll let anyone close. Um, there are oftentimes seasons of busyness and we don't wanna become pharisaical and say, well, if you're not doing all this, then God is shaming you. Um, that's not the case. Um, we all, God recognizes that. But here's the thing, um, a season is only three months. I recognize we don't understand that in California because we only have two, really one and a half. But seasons are supposed to be short periods of time. And so if you have been in a season of busyness for a year, it's no longer a season of busyness as a lifestyle. And it's in that lifestyle that you burn out. And so will you lean into God who restores you and repairs you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you uh, thanks that you teach us the value and importance of stopping. And that it's so easy to be consumed by the world and be busy, but yet you, Lord, have asked us to, to trust you, to to lean into you in the ways that you designed us to ultimately help us be prepared and restored for what's to come. So Lord, I pray over everyone in this room that they would learn to rest, that they would recognize the purpose of rest is to ultimately have their souls restored and their minds prepared and that they would start to live in a time that is free from anxiety, from worry from the stresses of the coulds and the shoulds, because it's you, Lord, who are the ones who prepare us and lead us. So God, we give you this. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.